I, I want to share something. Well, first, let me just, um, for those of you that are pastor prayer partners, um, I, I send requests out um, periodically, but I just, I, I just want to say again how much I depend upon those of you that have agreed to pray for me at least once, one day a week. Um, because there are, are um, things that happen in the heavenlies, they're, they're in the context of the spiritual war that we're fighting, um, that because I'm the pastor, it doesn't make me more important, but it makes my role um, more impactful. And so the, there are times when there's just a lot of spiritual warfare going on. And so just thank you for, for praying. I was especially aware of your prayers this week. Um, so I want, I want to share this with you, it, it, and it kind of connects with the message, and it's, it's kind of just an example of how we need to um, be doing the knees and nudges. So on Wednesday, um, it was a, it, a heavy week. It was a heavy week, a lot of stuff going on. Many of you prayed for the pastor gathering that was here on Monday. Wonderful, incredible. God showed up. It was it was powerful. The Acts 13 team started meeting on Tuesday evening. Um, just a whole lot of stuff going on personally with family. And, um, and so I got to Wednesday and I, and I went to my knees Wednesday morning. And I, was, I knew I was tired, but I just, you know, I just started humbling myself. And, and kind of out of nowhere came this sadness. And at the time, I thought it was emotions or it was tiredness. Reflecting back on it, what I sense is there was something going on in the unseen. That there was that, and it was one of those moments when in um, in Romans chapter eight twenty six it says the Spirit prays with groans too deep for words through us, and all of a sudden all this emotion hit, and I was just kind of, and I didn't even know where it was. I didn't know what it was, and and I just was crying. Um, before God. Um, and so I just stayed on my knees for a while. And then I got up from my knees and, and I was sitting at my desk and I started writing in my journal um, because I came out of that emotional time just kind of feeling drained and God, I don't know what's going on. And I got all kinds of other stuff I got to do this week. And I just don't feel like I have the strength or the capacity to do this. And so I just, I wrote in my journal um, Lord, please help me. I knew I was going to have trouble with this. Be my strength, my rock, my all in all. I got nothing. After that time, beside, I was just like I had no energy physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and I had just all kinds of stuff in front of me. I feel like I'm at the end of myself. I need you to carry me, Lord. Please take charge, Holy Spirit, to fulfill my responsibilities. While I was writing that in my journal, I heard my phone buzz. And um, a lot, most of the time when I have my quiet time, I don't pay that much attention to it. But I had I, been um, connecting with someone I thought they might need an answer. And on my phone, as I'm, as I'm writing that prayer, 
Lord, help me. Be my strength. Be my rock. Be my all in all. I got nothing. I'm at the end of myself. I need you. Carry me. Please take charge, Holy Spirit. You do what I need to do. As I'm writing that, I get a text from a guy that I met a number of years ago at a camp meeting that I preached about twice a month. He'll send out scriptures to encourage. While I'm writing that prayer to God, I get a text from him. Isaiah 41.10 Do not fear, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I prayed for strength, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right, the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against you will be ashamed and confounded and confused. They will be as nothing, and they that strive with you will perish. As I'm asking for what I get a text, and God says, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. When we give God the God place and we humble ourselves before him, it opens up his ability to be that to us. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I'm super spiritual. It's just because I humble myself. That's the lifestyle of surrender, listen, obey that I've been talking about. That's the lifestyle of walking in step with the Spirit. The God of the universe cares so much about us that He speaks to us. I hope you know what it's like when you pray something and immediately God takes the initiative to answer because it will blow you away. You you can't read the words, but so I... I had been writing, I looked at the text, and I just lost it. Here's what my journal looks like. Because I had I just tears of in, incredible gratitude and appreciation and the presence of God being there. That's what God wants to do for us. That's the kind of life that he wants us to experience. When we come to worship, that's, he wants us to experience that kind of real. It, he loves us that much. How, but how do we get there? We've been, we've been looking at David's disaster with Bathsheba. You know, we've gone through those seas and, and we've been talking about it. And, and last week we came to confession, what confession looks like. The way that we give God the God place is through that kind of confession. It's confession of who God is. And so in my journal, I'm writing the confession of God. I know who you are. You're the strength. And I know who I am. I didn't have sins to confess, but I had this situation to confess. And when we give God the God place, he shows up. And that's what we find in Psalm chapter 51. I think one of the takeaways from this entire series is that is humility. We have to put ourselves, and so that scripture we looked at in 1 Peter, it's about humility. It's about giving God the God place and allowing him to overwhelm us, allowing him to be our strength, allowing him to lift us up on wings. It, there, when we, 
all through, we have such a hard time in our culture because we've been taught for so long to, you need to handle it yourself. You need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You, you shouldn't have to ask for help. You should be able to handle this situation. It shouldn't be this hard. We've been at, we've, our culture keeps telling us that, and God says exactly the opposite. If you want to turn it right side up, recognize you have to become like a child. And that's what I felt like on Wednesday. I just felt like a child who had nothing. And God says, now I got you. I got you. Because you let me pick you up. You won't fight me. You just let me be who I, who I, and so turn your Bible to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Does anybody need a Bible? Psalm 51 and, um, a few of the Psalms have introductions to them, and, and Psalm 51 is one of them. So before verse 1 even starts, it says, A Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. What we have in Psalm 51 is David's response. When, when the prophet Nathan came to David after a year of him drifting and being away from God, in disobedience to God, um, committing adultery, committing murder, com bringing dishonor to the entire nation of Israel on earth and in the heavenly realm. And Nathan con confronts him, and David's eyes, spiritual eyes are open to see what he had done. And out of response, here's what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice where I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices. 
and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Lord, take your word and use it to open our hearts and our souls to you in ways that we never have before. Empower it with your spirit that we may experience you in ways that are profound. Do again what you've done in the past in drawing us to yourself. Transform us into your children who are humble and willing and ready. In Jesus' name. I put in your outline, confession. this is about confession of sin. Confession means to agree with God about my sin. And so we looked at that. And what we see in, in Psalm 51 is David was wrecked by his sin. He was destroyed. He'd spent a year denying that he had even sinned. He had somehow convinced himself that he wasn't guilty. And it took Nathan the prophet to come under the power of God to zero in on David's sin. But when he recognized it, he was destroyed. He was wrecked. And, and it was a sin that, um, that, caused, that, that caused him to see himself in ways that he probably hadn't seen himself for a long, long time. And out of that, he expresses it in Psalm 51. And, and the question, one of the questions that came to me as I was looking at Psalm 51, I wondered, are we too flippant about the times when we disobey God? Are we just, have we bought into this whole cultural idea that it's no big deal, God loves us anyway, God loves everybody, and so... You know, he knows that we're not perfect. And, and, but here we're talking about this blatant disobedience of God. And I think the, the, the joy of, of salvation, the joy of the Holy Spirit living within, that which I experienced on Wednesday only comes from a deep brokenness. And so I, my fear is that so many people who call themselves Christ followers have never really experience the depth of soul satisfaction because they've never been willing to humble themselves at the depth that is necessary. Amen. For confession to really be confession, we need to see it and feel it, admit it, and then repent of it. So let's talk about Psalm 51 as, as a kind of confession that restores the satisfaction with God. Um, I put James chapter 4, verses 6 to 10, because it kind of is, is the new, a New Testament call to do what Psalm 51 talks about. James chapter 4, verses 6 to 10 says, but God gives more grace. That is, he, his grace is his undeserved favor position. He pours on us. He reaches to us. He's ahead of us. He's behind us. He's beside. His grace, his undeserved favor pours out on us. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Why does he oppose the proud? It's because when you're proud, you're taking the God place. 
You're sitting on the throne. It's only as we humble ourselves and give him the God place that he will... When we are proud, we are putting ourselves in opposition to God. And pride is simply anytime I'm doing what I want to do instead of what God wants me to do. It's taking God's place. Submit yourselves, therefore. Surrender, humble, bow, lay yourself before him. Give him the God place to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, the the devil's primary invitation is to sit in the God seat is to do what you want to do instead of what God wants you to do. It's pride. And so he says, when he comes and says, do what you want, instead of do what God wants, run. And if you see somebody else headed that direction, tackle them. Right? That's, I mean, that's being the church. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, now, look at the simplicity of this. Draw near to God. That's all I did on Wednesday. I just knelt beside the bed that's in my home office. And I just, that's it. God, I don't know what you want. And, you, and he reached down and drew me to himself. And he wants that for every single person. But you have to be serious. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. All of that are different angles that the Holy Spirit is through the Apostle James trying to get at saying, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself. Be serious about it. Don't be flippant about your sin. Take it seriously. Feel the pain that you've caused God. Feel the destruction. Feel the wretchedness that is within you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Let's take a look at Psalm 51 and see how this is an example of that. First, the the first thing we see in the first two verses is an appeal for forgiveness. Uh, verse 1, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. It opens up with an appeal to God for forgiveness. He admits that he's guilty. After a whole year of denying it, he just lays it down and he says, I need forgiveness. Have mercy. No, I have no, I I can't um, justify it. I have no excuses for it. I'm guilty. Have mercy on me. But have mercy on me according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And so he appeals to who God is, his steadfast love. God is never-ending love. He appeals to God as merciful. That he, mercy is, he doesn't give us what we deserve. In all rights, God should have killed David on the spot. That was... That was the punishment for the sins David had committed. But he didn't give him what he deserved. Have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgressions. And so here he, he, he uses three different descriptions of his sin. Transgressions. In verse 2, my iniquity. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And, and 
Um, in Hebrew literature, when you see something said three times, it's saying complete. I am terrible sin. I am complete sin. I am um, totally awful in deepest guilt. And then he appeals in three different ways. Blot out my transgressions. He says, erase the record. Wash me. Cleanse me, which is a ceremonial kind of purification. And so he starts out with, I need your forgiveness. I'm guilty. I need your forgiveness. And then he goes into a deeper confession of guilt. For I know my transgressions, verse 3, and my sin is ever before me. Have you ever had something that just preoccupies your mind? Ever had something that just eats at you? That You've ever done something that you, you just can't believe you did that? And it just it's, it becomes almost an obsession. I can't believe I did that. Why did I do that? And you try to do something else and it just keeps coming back to your mind. It just keeps coming back to your mind because you feel so guilty about it. You feel so, so responsible for it. And you just, your mind just keeps playing of all the ways this is going to affect other. And it just becomes this obsession that you can't get rid of. That's what David is describing. And, and look at me. That's the way our sins ought to be. But we medicate the pain. When we are, do something that is in disobedience, and I'm not, I'm not talking about stumbling. I'm talking about you knew you weren't supposed to do that, and you did it anyway. We need to feel it that way. We need to be obsessed with it. We need to feel, because we tend to medicate it and say, I, I want to feel better. I don't want to feel that anymore. I want to get away from that feeling. We need to embrace that feeling and recognize that's breaking God's heart. And so David says, I can't get it out of my mind. I know my transgressions. They are, I am obsessed. I'm consumed with what I've done. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Even though David's sins had, had been wrongs against Bathsheba, wrongs against her husband, wrongs against the nation of Israel, ultimately all sin is, is breaking God's law. It's breaking his heart. And so he says, all that I've done, all my sin, everything, all my wrongdoing, God, I know has been blatantly in your face. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now that's one of those phrases you go, what? Here's what he means by that. Verse, the first part of verse four, against you, you only have have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? I'm taking responsibility for it. And then the second part is so that you may be justified. In other words, your judgment is just. Your condemnation of my sin and my deserving of death is right judgment. And no one should hold God blameless or no one should blame God if I die right now because Anything he does to me is right and just. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And this is where one of the scriptures we get that, that idea of original sin or Adamic sin from Adam, Adam's sin. There, we were born with a sin, sin nature. 
We are born with a sin nature. And, and then you go to Romans, it's all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody who, who is mentally capable of understanding right and wrong that doesn't and lives long enough ultimately rebel against God. Everybody does. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're doomed to that because of Adam and Eve. If you don't believe that, just watch Lindsay grow up. Oh, she's cute now. She's a sweetheart. You know, she smiles and she's not, you know, she walks around here. She's so cute. Everybody wants to hold her. Just give her a few years and nobody is going to want to be it. Nobody. Can you watch her? No. She used to be cute, but now she's this sinful little rascal. Every child, right? And one of her favorite words, when she starts talking, one of her favorite words is going to be what? No. Another favorite word is going to be? Mine. Mine. Mm-hmm. Because we were, born in, we were born with a sinful nature. And our trajectory is to sin. And Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. And that's what David experienced, right? So he did all of that sinfulness, didn't even know it. Why? Because he had deceived his heart. His own heart had deceived him until Nathan shows up. And every one of us can be that blind. So he says, I was born and I had no chance. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And here that word truth could probably better be translated faithfulness. He says, you delight in, in uh, an uprightness, a purity, a sincerity, a wholehearted devotion. That's what you delight in. And the implication is this. No matter how hard I try, I can't be that. I need God. God, I need you to transform my heart to make that true. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Only God can make us wise. And, that, and so I think it's a, this is a part of David's um, testimony saying, God, I, I didn't even know. I was born in, in, in iniquity I, and, and I sinned and I had deceived myself. I didn't even know until you showed up through Nathan to show me what was really true. And so he confesses his guilt. And then number three, he makes a plea for restoration. A plea for restoration in verses 7 to 12. Verse 7 says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Here this is, this is a, a figurative um, picture of what um, the priests would do in, in ceremonial purification, especially with lepers. If a leper came and he had been healed, if he was no longer had leprosy, they would take hyssop, which was kind of, it was a plant, and they would sprinkle him with the cleansing. And so here David is appealing to God, recognizing he can't make himself clean, but only God can. You, oh God, purge me with hyssop, and you can make me clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Here the contrast between the whiteness of snow and the, what is, we usually think of the redness of sin or the scarlet of sin. Let me hear joy and gladness. 
Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Here we begin to hear the loss that David recognizes. If you have experienced intimacy with God, if you have experienced the, the abundant life satisfaction, if in your heart there's been this, this lift of, of the guilt of sin and, and there have been mom, those moments like I had on Wednesday when God is so close and God is so near and you've experienced the pleasure that comes from that, the worst thing that you can ever experience is the loss of it. And that's what we begin to hear from David. He says, remember who David was back when he had this intimacy with God, when he was just a kid out in the pastures. That's where a lot of those Psalms come from. When he's talking about how God is near, he's my rock, he's my salvation, he protects me. And, and then he's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God when he's anointed by the prophet Samuel to be king. And then when he faces Goliath, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he, and he knows the closeness of God. He has the passion of God within him. And then he goes on to, to these years of success. And then finally he becomes king and he has success after success because God is with him and God has filled him. And he's experienced that intimacy and he's walked in that intimacy for all of those years. And then he sins with Bathsheba and doesn't even realize the presence of God is gone until Nathan shows up and it hits him. And he realized the loss that he has. When you are experiencing intimacy with God, the worst thing that could ever happen to you is that loss. If you've never felt that intimacy, you need to humble yourself before God until you get it. Hide your face from my sins. Verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. It is God. And so David appeals to God because he knows only God can do this. All he can do is fall flat on his face before God and say, please cleanse me. Please have mercy on me. Please renew me. Hide your face. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. No longer look upon my sins with anger and displeasure. Erase all of the wrong that I've done. Create in me a clean heart. Wash me clean renew a right spirit within me. The right spirit there he's talking about is a, a full allegiance to God. Now, here, notice what he's saying here is renew a right spirit with me. I can't even do that. I can't even have full allegiance to you unless your spirit comes in and gives me. And here, here's the, 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 what the Bible calls the sanctifying process. You, you can come to God and he can forgive you, but you can't make yourself right no matter how hard you try. That's why religion is so awful. And most of what we have seen and experienced is religion. I got to do all of these things in order to be right with God. You can't. Only God can make you right. And, out of, and we'll see out of that, the obedience is out of gratitude to God. 
And we'll see that in just a moment. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Do you hear, do you hear the agony of the loss? You ever had a, a really good friend who you were closer than a brother? And then you lost him? Could have been death, could have been distance. There's a, a man named Jim Harvey. He was a, a pastor that I met back in the late 80s who God knitted our hearts together. He became closer than a brother. He, there, there are moments in my life I, I can look back on when I was, I desperately needed somebody to give me perspective and wisdom and God used Jim. The, the fact of this congregation experiencing intimacy with God through fasting is a result of Jim Harvey's influence. There's so much that his, his, the tentacles of who he is are embedded in the, the very nature of our congregation. 20 years ago, he died suddenly of a heart attack at 52 years old. I miss him almost every day. That's just a taste of what it would be like to lose the presence of God. David cries out, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me because it feels like death. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Give me back that joy that I had when I was out in the pastures, when I would take my harp and I would write those songs of praise that people still sing when they worship in the temple today. Restore to me the joy when I marched up to Goliath and your spirit flowed through me and he, we, we destroyed the enemies of God. Restore to me those moments when, when I obeyed you and you took delight in me. I long for those moments again, David says. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He's talking about David's spirit. Preserve in me a purity, a willing spirit, a, 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 a spirit that is completely uh, um, obedient and aligned and, and, and in allegiance to you. We need to get that desperate for God's presence. Because God is God. God is God, and we are not. We need to get to the place where I think it, we say, God, if, 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 I, if I am not absolutely sure that you are going with me into this situation, I'm not going. In the Old Testament, do you remember the golden calf? That whole debacle. The people of Israel had been freed and then Moses goes up on the mountain to spend time with God and, and in short order they make this calf, they begin to worship other gods. And Moses comes down mad, frustrated. He, he crushes up the cow, makes him drink it. He just... And then he goes back to be with God again. And they have a conversation. And it's real interesting because oftentimes between Moses and God, sometimes God wants to kill him and Moses talks him out of it. 
Another time, <laughs> Moses wants to kill him and God talks him out of it. Because it was just so hard. But when he goes back up after the golden calf incident, and, he, and he's talking to God about this, and he just says to God, he says, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. If your presence is not palpable with me, I'm not doing this anymore. Now, and you would think that's almost rebellious against God, but in reality, that's the heart that God wants. I don't want to do anything, go anywhere, be with anyone, be anywhere, accomplish anything, experience anything, God, unless you are in it. Amen. And when we get there, God is all about us. So he cries out, restore me. And then in, in number four, in verses 13 to 17, he promises to praise God. He promises to praise God. And, and so he makes some requests, but these requests are not to try to earn points with God, but rather will result from obedience with God. He's not bargaining with God. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. He's not bargaining with God saying, if you will restore the, this joy that I have, if you will do all these things for me, then I will pray. No, he's saying, as a result of you restoring me, I will serve you with all of my life. I will do anything that you want. He doesn't ask him to change the consequences of his sin because the rest of his life is going to be a disaster because of the consequences of his sin. He just wants the presence. He wants the joy. And you know what? You can go through anything. You can go through any kind of difficulty, pain, struggle, anything if the presence of God is giving you satisfaction in your soul anything. Repentance and change are always a part of true confession. Always. Otherwise, it's not true. It's not real. Have you ever tried to get a child to apologize? <laughs> Two kids are fighting with each other and you get in the middle of it and you try to make a teachable moment and you say, apologize to your sister. No, I don't want to. Okay, apologize to your sister or I'm going to send you to the moon. Apologize. And, and what comes next? Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> you guys have, have done that, haven't you? <laughs> when I counsel you, <laughs> apologize to your friend. Sorry. <laughs> That's not an apology. That's a snarky comment. Okay, say it differently. Sorry. No, that's not enough. You always have to say, I'm sorry, because if you don't include the pronoun, you really are not owning it. So say to your sister, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, that's not, that's not enough. Let's continue to work. We can stay here all day if you want. I, and you finally get him to say, I'm sorry. Okay, now we're not quite done yet. I'm sorry, and I will treat you differently from now on. And, that, and that's when they go, 
Because a true apology always includes a change of behavior. Or it's not an apology. It's just getting out of the situation. It's just getting past the situation. That's what David is doing here. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. If you do that, I will serve you. Look what he says. Then I will treat transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. I have, if you forgive me, I, will ha- I have experienced that, and I will help others who are on the wrong path to see you and come back to you. And so he says, the first thing I'll do is to point sinners back to you. Second thing is I'll praise God. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Not because I have to, not because I'm trying to earn it, but because I will be so grateful. I can't help myself but sing and praise. Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Thirdly, he says, then I will offer sacrifices. Verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. I can't, I, I, you don't want to sacrifice in order to earn your forgiveness. Because you will not be pleased with the burnt offering. It's not about giving you stuff. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. He says, I, I, I'm not, but then he, later he says, I will give you sacrifice, but not to earn salvation. Maybe David was even remembering the time when he was anointed king. And Samuel came along and he saw his, his brother and he said, oh, he's tall and he looks, and it looks good on the outside. He looks like a king. And God told Samuel, the Lord, uh, do not look on his appearance, on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart. That's what God wants when we're talking about confession. He wants a contrite heart. He wants us to give ourselves to him. That's why, you know, in in, um, some church facilities, they'll have these plaques of people who've given $10,000 to a building program or, you know, all that. That's, That's the outward. $10,000 for that person might have been $10 to this person over here. That's ridiculous. That's why we've not named this Schaefer Memorial Hall. (laughs) It's ridiculous. It's the heart, he says. And then number five is a request to correct broad dishonor. And I probably didn't name that point very well. Um, And and it it was, was kind of a revelation to me. As I was going through 51, here's what, he's, here's what he's saying. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure, verse 18. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Here's what he's saying. Because of my sin, I have brought dishonor to the nation of Israel. In the earthly realm and in the heavenly realm. Because of my sin, the armies of God have, have taken a hit. All of the, 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 um, the nations around us who serve demonic gods have seen the corruption. And I brought dishonor to your name and I've dishonor, brought dishonor to the nation of Israel who is your possession. 
And so David cries out, restore your honor. Restore your honor. I don't care about me, but restore your honor. Sometimes in our sins, we have to um, make up. We have to correct things. We have to um, uh, bring restitution and restoration as God leads us to. So out of all of that, have you come to the point of true heart-wrenching, deep confession, surrender, and humility? If you're not experiencing a deep satisfaction of intimacy with God, I can tell you that you haven't. Because if you do, if you come to that deep heart-wrenching surrender and confession, you will begin to experience intimacy and satisfaction and the abundant life that Jesus wants you to have. Would you bow your heads? In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion. Communion is a moment in time to remember the price that forgiveness cost God and especially Jesus. God the Father and Jesus. The proper way to celebrate communion is to surrender afresh. As I've been talking, if there's anything that you need to do to surrender, any way you need to confess, any way that you need to repent, anything that you're doing that you know God is not happy with, God is not pleased with, that has caused a distance between you and God, this is the moment to surrender. It starts simply with saying, God, I'm sorry. And then allowing him to take you through the emotions and the depth, feeling it, and then, and then receiving his forgiveness and restoration from his spirit. I encourage you in this moment to start that. If there's anything, lay it at his feet. Any disobedience, any way you've been holding him off, Lord, I pray that you would accept the prayers that have gone up. But even more than that, Lord, I, I pray that you will force the issue with us until we, like David, lay ourselves at your feet in full surrender and humility. And receive your promise that then, we will really experience the joy of serving you. So I put these folks into your hands, God. Lead them to the depth of joy that comes from the depth of being wrecked by our sin.
Would you take your communion elements? One of the reasons, maybe the big reason, that we need to take sin so seriously is because of what it cost for our sins to be forgiven. So the cracker that you hold in your hand represents the body of Jesus Christ himself who was willing to go to the cross, who was willing to be arrested, beaten, falsely accused, spat upon, nailed to the cross, a crown of thorns pressed upon his brow and ultimately the spear into his side because of your sin and my sin. And so the night that he was betrayed, when he was headed to the cross, he wanted to give us this memory, a way to say thank you, to honor and to praise him for all that he did to die in our place. So he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, he took the cup, fully knowing how he would shed his blood and ultimately life would drain out of him. And he said, this is the cup of my new covenant that is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, I pray that you would take us deeper in understanding, deeper in experiencing the life that you died to give us. Make us thankful. Make us passionate about serving you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.